0: Welcome to the latest episode of Chasing the Elephant, a podcast where we talk about investing ideas. Joining us today are our usual contributors from Seeking Alpha, Russell Katz, Richard Berger, and myself, Yale Bach. On the podcast today, we're going to be discussing a smaller company. Uh, that Russell will uh, spend some time discussing. What can you tell us about New Media Investment Group, Russell?
1: Hi, thanks, Yale. So New Media Investment Group is a very unique company. And I know a lot of people have heard about the uh, quote-unquote fall of your traditional print media and the disasters that have been happening. But I think New Media Investment Group offers an excellent option and alternative to a lot of those other your more classical uh, print media Groups They own, operate and invest in high quality, small to medium sized local media assets. And this means I'm talking about your small town newspaper or your small town publication. They're not going to own anything like the New York Post or anything large. These are all very, they like to refer to themselves as hyper local. And this really is a description that very aptly fits. Their portfolio consists of 678 community print publications, over 110 daily newspapers, 569 websites, and two yellow page directories. Of the daily newspapers, 85% have published for over 100 years, and 100% have published for over 50 years. Their portfolio is spread across 569 markets, which is spread across 38 states. They are only based in the United States. So this is a very hyper-local business, and as we'll go into in more detail, they're not just based in your average daily newspapers and your publications. They also have this really ingenious new initiative, and new within the last couple of years, but it's really starting to take off, UpCurve Gatehouse and Thrive Hive, And I'll be going into more detail on those later in the podcast. This is a, a really ingenious
0: solution to the declining print media business. So Russell, why don't you dig deeper into the three different, I think they have three different divisions uh, within their company, and tell us a little bit about the financials. I believe they did a little under a billion five in revenue, and uh, why don't you give us a little more color about that? Yeah, so on the financial
1: aspect of it, in their 2017 annual, uh, so so they actually are based on the, fin- uh, the fiscal calendar. One of the few companies that I've looked up recently that actually does so, and it just makes it so much easier. But anyways, so for 2017, they did $1.342 billion in revenue. And they've recently been doing is you know, so they have, they, while they have three different aspects of their business, you know, advertising circulation and what they call other, it really can be split into two segments, which is traditional and what they call stable slash growth. So traditional is, you know, you're talking, your more circulation as sales of, of the actual newspaper and the, the revenue that comes from the, that advert, that form of advertising. And then the stable slash growth is their online presence. So the online advertising, it also includes UpCurve, Gatehouse, and Thrive High. What New Media Investment Group does is they leverage their position in these hyper-local markets as a dominant player. They're print media, and they leverage the trust that these communities have in these publications. And they use it to get small to medium businesses, not your chains, but your local mom and pop shop or your local small accounting firm, and they help them go online. So, for example, one of their things called Upcurve Cloud, the entire small business online, it allows them to manage their business using. On the cloud and specific tools, and they help them manage that. And then also they have another thing called Thrive Hive. They manage all of their digital advertising needs. And we've seen substantial growth in these segments. And then they also have Gatehouse, which was launched in 2015 and in 2017 is already doing $15.7 million. And what it does is it is specific to local communities and you ho- they hold events, for example, for your high school, uh, your local high school, they would uh, hold the event, they would manage the events and do the events for your local high school. And once again, it's just perfect synergy with these papers. And it is, you know, you're seeing declining readership. These categories, these new UpCurve, ThriveHive, and Gatehouse are more than making up for the decline in readership that we're seeing. With the growth, for example, Thrive Hive had 16% customer growth year over year, number of customers and UpCurve and ThriveHive combined saw 31% year over year increase in revenue. And when it was founded in 2013, it had 6.4 million annual revenue. And now in 2017, we're already up to 71.3 million in revenue. So their stable slash growth revenue, which includes everything from ThriveHive to UpCurve to Gatehouse, that is actually now a larger percentage of their revenue at 56% than traditional print media. So while they're still acquiring and total acquisitions, acquisitions to date have been 891.6 million. And the average unlevered yield that they've seen on all these acquisitions is 23%. Their current debt situation is also very ideal. In total, so I'm talking total obligations. This includes debt, debt interest payments, operating lease obligations, management fees, non-complete payments the whole nine years, into the foreseeable future, all that they owe is $682 million. Now, this may seem like a lot, but when you're talking about that they've been averaging over $100 million in cash flow an operating cash flow, it isn't um, an issue at all. And on top of that, the vast majority of their debt, which they have approximately $350 million in debt, and when you include their total debt obligations, including interest payments, it's $503 million, and the vast majority of that is coming due in 2022, and when I say 2022, I mean that you're – of the $503 million that's coming due, $365 million of that including – so remember this is including interest payments – is coming due in 2022, which is plenty of time for them to – pay off as they have. Now, it, I would like to take this time to quickly point out that they have issued shares in the last two years, and they've done other offerings. This was to, to raise capital. I don't see them doing this in the foreseeable future, but that is one of the reasons that we've seen um, the last two years. The stock has not performed well. The dividend yield is approximately 9%. Over the last four years, that dividend payment has continued to rise. The, the amount that they're paying in interest in debt also has been decreasing. So they're in excellent financial shape. You know they have a quick ratio of 0.9 um, of the of the last quarter, uh, Q4. But that's that's pretty unusual. Usually it's been over over one. I, I'm not concerned at all about their debt. I think that they're they're able to manage it. Their gross profit margin is 41 to 47 percent from 2016-2017, and, and I'm using a range there because this is the lowest their gross profit margin was, and the highest, and the highest was last quarter. Their gross profit margin was approximately 47%. They also are doing a great job of lowering their costs, which obviously is a concern with print media. Um, in the last quarter, excluding acquisitions, they actually decreased their their expenses by cutting costs by combining operations by approximately 18 to 19% of, of their current operations. So this is excluding the costs of acquisitions, which they've done over a hundred million last year. And they're planning on doing a lot more acquisitions. And that's one of the things that's great about this company is that the marketplace for print media, especially this hyper-local media is really fragmented and it's, it, a lot of people are staying very far away from it. And that's allowing them to purchase these companies at excellent
0: prices. The obvious question for investors is gonna be if the opportunity is, is so compelling, why has the stock underperformed the last few years and then why why will it outperform over the next three or five years relative to something similar like maybe not similar but in the same general area a Gannett or a, you know, what used to be the LA Times or something like a Yelp or somebody something in, that's based in or heavily uh, dominant in digital advertising like Facebook or even an Amazon or a Google I mean what what is it about the valuation or what is it unique to this company that's going to reward shareholders?
1: Thanks for that question, Neil. That's an excellent point. As I said, so this industry has been taking a lot of flack recently and not for bad reasons at all. It's not like this is just a, an industry that's poised for massive growth. This This is a Look, I don't mean to use an exaggerated term, but it's it's a it's a dying industry. People aren't reading it as much, as everybody knows. Everybody already knows this. And one of the, the important things about this company is they're not reliant, as ad, a lot of advertisers are moving away, they're not reliant on big national advertisers. As a matter of fact, no single advertiser in 2015, 16, or 17 – accounted for more than 1% of their total revenue and the top 20 advertisers together counted for less than 10% of their total advertising revenue in these three years. One of the important things to remember is that you don't have to worry about them losing a, a massive advertiser to moving over to something like Facebook ads. Because the people that are advertising with them are the local companies, and they have to advertise with them because they need that local exposure. 95% of their ad revenue came from local um, advertisers rather than national advertisers. So that's one of the really important points I'd like to make when you're comparing this company to some other print media companies. As I said, they're using their print media assets to bring in UpCurve, Gatehouse, and Thrive Hive. And using that to help them penetrate these markets. Without these local media assets, I don't think they'd have remotely as much success with, with the penetration and growth that we've seen, and the continued growth. The hyper local factor, combined with the successful diversification over the last couple of years, which has been a very intentional move for the company, plus with this with the hyper local aspect, plus with solid cash flow, solid growth. Um, in terms of acquisitions and the return on acquisitions, as I said, 23% return really is an excellent return. When it comes to the stock price, the fact that it has underperformed the S&P by, by a considerable amount in the last couple of years has to do with the fact that they release new shares. This industry itself has taken a significant beating. And in, in the market today, you're going to have to think outside the box to find companies that you're going to make solid returns on.
0: So the, the natural follow-up would be you know, we've seen in the market big companies like a GE that pays pay big dividends for a long time, yet the, the stock prices declined, you know, sixty, seventy, eighty percent. And so the concern for a lot of people is, you know, we wanna a lot of investors wanna buy growing assets. And essentially your thesis, if I'm following you correctly, is that the digital division and the event division and those new investments are going to help this company overcome that potential issue. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, it's correct. And also I'd like to state that this isn't a quote-unquote blue-chip dividend play. I think one of the the faulty aspects of the whole blue-chip perspective, such as GE used to be considered, is it it kind of assumes that companies that no longer innovate as much or grow as much will continue to be able to sustain the dividends. And that's kind of the issue that GE came into. That they, they're having a lot of issues with their business right now. Um, they're paying a stable dividend for years. But with a company like New Media Investment Group, the dividend isn't in jeopardy. As a matter of fact, I foresee it continuing to rise as it has for the last four years. And the company itself has seen substantial growth. It's specifically in those industries that I was talking about that matters. The, you know, obviously their circulation. When you talk about um, businesses minus acquisitions, it has gone down, but that's been more than filled by the growth in their, their events and their digital marketing. So to answer your question, yes, I think that that is a valid concern with uh, dividend play. However, this isn't just a dividend play. This is a, a growth prospect and an undervalued company. So I think you're getting a, a company that's going to see um, accelerated growth at a reasonable price while also being um, given us a substantial dividend.
0: Russell, that's a nice look at a, an interesting company. And I, I, th- I also think that in today's market, as you as you talked about, that the smaller and mid sized companies is probably where there's a lot of opportunity relative to the high prices of some of the market leaders. So the next part of our podcast is to look at what's coming up next week. And Russell, what are you looking at next week?
1: So I have been following the tariffs extensively. As a matter of fact, I've been doing a a deep dive into Chinese tariffs. And just a quick note on that, I would like to to point out that there's been a a lot of excitement surrounding the soybean tariffs and and excitement not in the positive sense. And there's a lot of people have been focusing on the soybean tariffs that China instituted on the United States. But I, I would like to point out that those aren't the vast majority of the tariffs. The vast majority of the tariffs are on some very unusual products. And if you're actually looking at where the vast majority of the tariffs are hitting, the majority of them are actually hitting California. And I think that's important to note because California has the most hotly contested seats for the upcoming House of Representatives election. And um, I think that's that's something that I'm going to be looking at more into and i, I thought was a, a very interesting
0: piece of the, the tariff puzzle well great so from my point of view um we're headed into earnings season and this next week will be about some of the biggest company in the world will be reporting like j&j and goldman sachs i think morgan stanley reports so earnings season always brings a lot of attention i believe netflix will report this week And coming off the back of the financials on Friday, J.P. Morgan, Citi, and um, Wells reported. So that'll be the focus. And, you know, I think the next few weeks, that's certainly going to be capturing my attention and a lot of other people's attention.
2: Hi, this is Richard Berger from Engineered Income Investing, hosted on Seeking Alpha. Now I'd like to discuss some income-producing ideas using covered option writing, uh, focused on new media. First, let's look at the fair value of the company. I uh, have used a valuation based on historic yield metrics for the company in a variety of approaches. The fair value based on yield uh, shows a historic yield trend of 7.12%. Uh, On that basis, the current value for the company, fair value, would be $20 and 78 cents. However, there's not a strong correlation between that predicted value and the actual market trading price historically over time. There's a great amount of variation above and below uh, the predicted values without a strong pattern uh, showing where we're in bubble or bargain. Price book ratio has a historic trend of 1.204 and gives a fair value currently of $15.30. There's good correlation for this parameter between historical prediction and actual price. Likewise, price to operating cash flow ratio also shows an excellent correlation between predicted value and market price, and has a historical trend of 7.817. This calculates to a current fair value of $16.30. The stock is trading on the open market currently at $17.10. Two ideas that come to mind uh, using option boosting to enhance the income and yield while lowering market risk for new media. If it's the year, the dividend rate that attracts you at 8.65%, there's a way to actually increase that dividend, uh, the equivalent of the dividend yield, while actually reducing market risk. For that idea, we would consider writing the 95-day cash secured puts for the 82018. strike at 35 cent premium, which is the current market quote. This is an absolute gain on your covering cash for the period of the uh, 95 days contract of 2.39%. The annualized yield rate thus calculates to 9.18% superior to the dividend yield while at the same time, uh, lowering your market risk by uh, The 35 cent premium, you're immediately paid for writing the contract. Plus the fact your strike is down at $15 instead of having to buy in at the current 1710. You'll be earning your 9.18% annualized yield rate while not owning the stock. So you get more yield with less risk. If you're willing to own the stock at 1710, we can get you a much greater yield. Even consider writing, doing a what we call a buy write. Buy the stock at the market current market price of seventeen ten. Then write covered calls concurrently, using the thirty two day, four eighteen eighteen contracts at seventeen dollar fifty cents strike, at forty cent premium. For a net debit cost of $16.70. This works out to an absolute boost from the premium of 2.4%, which is an annualized yield rate of 27.3%. When you add this on top of the 8.65% dividends you'll be harvesting from the stock you own now, you get a total annualized yield rate of 35.95%, extremely boosted from the 8.75% dividend. I hope you found these ideas of interest, and I look forward to talking with you in our next episode.
1: Thank you for tuning into the disclaimer. Investing money in capital markets involves risk and could result in losing money. While the people on this podcast express their own opinions, only you can determine if a specific investment is right for your portfolio. You should always do your own research before buying or selling any investment. Remember, past performance is no guarantee of future results. Future results are likely to be different from past performance. All equity portfolios involve risk and may lose money. One should research any investment and make sure it is suitable with your objectives, risk tolerance, risk profile, liquidity concerns, tax situation, and anything else pertinent to your financial situation. Also, attaining or holding the CFA credential in no way suggests performance will be superior than a market index or market return. While this podcast is exclusive to Seeking Alpha, we are in no way direct employees of Seeking Alpha, and we are not directly endorsed by Seeking Alpha. Thank you.